0: Uh, Amber and I are glad to be here with you all. It was a real blessing for us to be here. I think it was last month or maybe in April. Uh, You have to forgive me. Uh, Memory's not as good. and That's scary at 36. Anyways, (laughs) Um, but we are glad to be here. Uh, It is a special day for us. Uh, We have three children, uh, Jude and Eliza in the back, but we have a third who's in the nursery uh, because she didn't get her morning nap. Uh, and that is uh, Hope, and Hope is our adopted little girl, and today Hope turns one years old, so we are very excited. Uh, Amber is doing a rainbow theme uh, for her birthday, so we had bright colors all throughout the living room, and Hope was just uh, in-, in awe. It's kind of amazing to see a one-year-old get their eyes on things like that, but uh, it's a special day for us. Um, If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the book of Malachi. One other note, Uh, last time I preached here, there was a sweet lady, and you'll have to forgive me who you are, but you had a question for me, and I lost your email to get back in touch with you. So after the service, if you're that person, uh, I think I know who it is because she's smiling at me right now, Um, please come see me uh, after the service, and I'll try to give you the best answer I can provide. Uh, may not be the best answer, but I'll try to do my best. So uh, let's turn to the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And what a Word of God it is. And please uh, remember, folks, this was for the Israelites, the last Word of God they heard for 300 years till John the Baptist's ministry came on site. These are precious words. As uh, God sort of closed out the Old Testament, so Malachi chapter one verses one through five, we'll read uh, this text, and then after that, uh, we will pray. So let us read God's holy and inerrant and inspired word, the or- oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, "How have you loved us?" Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful text. A text not only used in the Malachi's time, but a text used in the New Testament time. When the Apostle Paul spoke of this in the book of Romans. I do pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to have ears to hear. And Lord, that you would speak through a feeble mouth and an often weak heart. Lord, that You might get the glory. And we invite You, Holy Spirit, to stir our hearts afresh, to train us to eternal truths and to cleanse us from our sins so that You might get the glory not only in our lives, but beyond our lives to the world outside. we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When do you ask the question, Lord, do You love me? Usually it's when we're experiencing a time of hardship or distress or things are not maybe going as we would like them to go. It also could be when we're just having sort of average days. There's sort of a dullness to our life. And so we begin to question God's love. A number of years ago, uh, I used to be on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, and I had a season like this. It was my third year on staff, um, and I had high expectations. The first year... uh, not too much happened. I sort of got my feet wet. But the second year, God raised up a group of young men, and primarily African-American men. I was working at the University of South Carolina. And I was very excited about the new year because we had uh, uh, laid a great foundation with these guys. They were ready to go forward. A number of them had, uh, were interested in leading Bible studies, and we could see the ministry spreading. Well, my staff team, there was about eight or nine of us on staff, and uh, we decided to go have a social before the year kicked off. Sort of our our, our calm before the storm. Because uh, if you have ever done campus ministry, or if you think of Parker during the first six weeks of school, you need to pray for him. Because it is long days, long hours, and that is the key time to, to grab hold of folks while they're there at school. Well, during that time, we went decided to go water skiing. Now, I'm somewhat of a quasi-athletic guy, I'd like to think of myself being able to do more than what my body can. And so we went water skiing. And I'm not the greatest water skier. I I, I mean, some people make jokes about how big my feet are and that I should have great abilities to water ski. But I'm not the best. And so I had tried and tried. And, you know, if you've done water skiing, it wears you out after a while. There's only so many falls you can take. Well, uh, I was about ready to call it a day. And I, I said, you know, I think I'm done. And folks were like, hey, you can do one more. Come on, we'll, we'll, we'll try it one more time. I was like, okay, well, let's do it one more time. And sure enough, I got up on those water skis and I did one of these things. My skis went this way and then they went back this way. And uh, when I hit the water, I knew something was not right because your legs are not designed to go this way <laughs> and then this way. And uh when I came up to the water, I was fearful my leg was broken. I really was. Uh I was in such pain. And uh, uh you know, I, I told them, "Hey guys, things were not good." And and when they saw my face, they could pretty much see that things were not good. And so they pulled me up on into the boat, and long story short, nothing was broke, but but things were not normal. Uh I was not walking after that. I went to the doctor and uh, he said, basically, you have a pretty good sprain in your ankles and a pretty good sprain in your knee. And you're going to have to be on crutches for some time after this. Now, for those of you who had foot injuries, ankle injuries, knee injuries, you would probably agree with me and say, I'd rather have an arm in- injury any day than over having my legs or my foot being injured. Because you cannot move around. And if you're an active person like me, uh that is a a great cross that God made me bear for that time. And getting around a college campus, going to see students made life even much more difficult. And I began to ask the question, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Lord, we made great progress. Lord, these folks are ready to go. I'm ready to go. My plans are ready to go. And for some reason, you said, hey, we're going to slow you down. I did not quite understand that. And I must confess with you all, that that season in my, my walk with God, I began to question God's love. Lord, I don't understand. You have called me to this ministry. This, as You know, is the opportune time to reach people. And yet, I can't get around and see them. Why? Why? Well, our folks, the Israelites, during Malachi's time were asking some of those same questions. They're asking the question, "Why?" And like any book in Scripture, it was written in a historical context. Things were going on. If you know your history, uh, back in 586 was the end or the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. That's when all the Jews of Judah was transported to Babylon, and then uh, through Cyrus, uh, Isaiah told us about how Cyrus would say, "You can all go back." They all went back. And about 50,000 Jews returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And through the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah, the, the temple was built around 520 or 516 B.C. And then in 458, another person named Ezra returned with a second group. And about 13 years later, Nehemiah came back with another group. And most scholars aren't exactly certain when Malachi's ministry started, but they believe it was around the time of after Nehemiah. They may have been contemporaries. We're not exactly for sure. But that's when it happened. And for the Israelites, a number of their goals have been accomplished. The temple had been rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem had been fortified. Yet, we know from what Malachi says that the people of God were experiencing problems. In fact, they were experiencing a felt distance from the Lord. They... They were Life had improved, but life was not easier. They were not seeing the prosperity they had hoped for. And as a result, we can gather from Malachi's first words of exhortation that many people were questioning God's love for them. The problem, though, was not God distancing Himself from them. It was their distancing themselves from God and forgetting His covenantal love towards them. And I believe, dear friends, that Malachi wants to set up his whole book with these first five verses that indeed the Lord loves them. And you know what? We need to be reminded that the Lord loves us with a covenantal love. But first he wanted to remind the Israelites how had God loved you? And so he, he brings to their memory a nation called Edom. Now if you're unfamiliar with the Bible story, the Edomites traces their ancestry back to a guy named Esau. And Esau had a brother named Jacob. In fact, they were twins. And right from their birth, God told us that His plan will be with Jacob and not with Esau, even though Esau was the firstborn son. Jacob would be the usurper. That's actually what his name means. Jacob means usurper, one who grabs at the heel. And his name eventually got changed to Israel. Now the question needs to be asked is, has Edom done wrong? Do they deserve judgment? Have they rebelled against God's Word? Well, the prophet Obadiah recounts numerous times how they did not help Israel when they needed help. In fact, they had done violence to Israel and rejoiced at their misfortune. The prophet Jeremiah in his book in chapter 49 says this about Edom and Esau. He says, though you make your nests as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all its disasters. When, as when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbor cities were overthrown, says the Lord. No man shall dwell there. No man shall sojourn in her. You see, this chapter 1 of the book of uh, uh of Malachi, is the culmination of God's judgment against Edom. It's where God is saying, all the promises I have said where you have rebelled, where you have fought against Israel, it's going to come to pass. You will no longer be a nation. Listen to what He says in verse 3. I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made him a mountain of desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. So in your notes, I want to point out two principles that God demonstrates here. First, God demonstrates His love by destroying His slash our enemies. The people of God were from Jacob's line, from the line of Israel. The Edomites were their enemies. And so God says He will demonstrate His love by destroying His and the people of God's enemies. And second, God demonstrates His love And notice this, by setting his affection on those who deserve his judgment. Now these two twins, none better than the other, yet God favors one of them. And one might ask the question Was Israel worse than Esau? Was Jacob worse? I mean, yeah, Jacob worse than Esau? And I think that's a fair question. You could almost say in many ways, yeah, they were. They constantly rebelled against God. And and they had even just gone through one of the most horrific and disciplining acts God had ever done. He deported them for 70 years. And now He brings them back. So did, did Israel commit deplorable acts? Yes. Were they worse than Edom? I don't know, but they're up there. And they're significant. But unlike Edom, God disciplined the Israelites he disciplined them as a father, as one who hopes to bring, to bring back their child to, to their love. And so He allowed Israel to be taken in captivity, yet in His amazing mercy, He did not destroy them. He said, I have a plan for you, a goal for you. Jacob, I have loved you, but Esau, I have hated you. I think as he Malachi reminds the Israelites this, he's, He's sort of reminding them of their position all along. He's bringing history back into this whole equation to get their minds off their temporal situation and remind them of a much bigger situation. That from the beginning of their nation to where it's at now, God had a plan for them. God had not been unfaithful to His covenantal promise that He began with Abraham. That through Abraham's line, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through the line of Abraham. That he would be a father of many nations. You see, Malachi was going back and he was saying to the people of Israel, God is faithful, dear friends, even when you are not. And this, Israel, is how He has loved you. And He's calling you back to covenantal faithfulness. Calling you back to remind yourself that he, you are His beloved people. And not only that, you will continue to live. As He points out the destruction of the Edomites, He's reminding the Israelites as well, you're going to prosper and you're going to do well. There's a third principle I want to point out. is that God teaches that His love starts from all eternity. And it's not based on our actions, but on His sovereign choice. So let's look at the negative side of this. As we noted, it, God judged Edom. He says that uh, Jacob he has loved, but Esau he has hated. And we go down there a little further uh, in our text. Though Edom says we have been beaten down, we will return and build up our ruins. But God speaks up and says, they may build, but I will tear down. The men will call them the wicked territory. And get this, don't miss this and the people towards the Lord is indignant forever. His anger, His judgment against the Edomites is not only forward in foreverness, it is also backward in foreverness. It has begun from the very beginning in God's plan that His anger was upon them for their evil and their wickedness. And though Edom says, we're going to build up we're going to redo this. We're going to be triumphant. God says, no, you won't. No, you won't. You will find that you are fighting against Me. And the reminder of that is, is to all of us is that God's plan is eternal and it is certain. It will not deviate. It will not change. It is His plan from all eternity. And when He moves forward with a plan and He commits to us, the church, that He will make us pure and holy, He will accomplish that task. And He will also, dear friends, accomplish the victory over those who would rebel against them. That is the sure promise we have. The other side of this that we know... Well, let me back up a thing. We may ask ourselves the question, then how could God be loving towards the Israelites? when they had committed such evil acts. Where was that standing on between God and Israel? Certainly, that must have caused God not to love them. Why? How could He love Him? If He's holding the Edomites accountable for their sins, how could He not hold the Israelites accountable for them? Well, in one sense He does. He disciplines them. We've already talked about that. But in another sense, we're told by the Apostle Paul that He passed over them. Romans 3.25 talks about how God passed over the former sins and He looked ahead in all eternity to that time in eternity when that cross stood on high. And it was there at that cross that He knew that someone, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great Mediator, would stand and bear those iniquities for us. It was there that God could pass over all the evil acts of the Israelites and look to that point to where He could forgive them or someone paid for their wickedness. I believe that, dear friends, is how God can love us. And that is why Paul says in the beginning of the book of Ephesians, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And so, dear friends, just as the Israelites at Malachi's time could experience God's love, so we can too. It is because Christ has paid for it And because Christ has paid for us, He can set His affection on us. And it is an eternal affection. It is not a temporal affection. It is an affection that He constantly moves towards you and I. And so if we question God's love, we need to be reminded of this eternal fact. That His love is from all eternity. And it will constantly move towards you and I with an eternal love towards us. Now wait a minute. Let's ask some questions. Is this true? Could God condemn a group of people even before they were born? I get that question at chapel. You mean there's some that are elected chaplain? You mean there's some folks that got it right from the beginning and some that don't and they don't even have a chance? I have other chaplains I've had that conversation with. And that is a real question. And the answer, the question is, does God ordain some men to eternal life and others to eternal damnation? Yes, He does. He does. And He can, because He is God. And some, as we ask that question, a related question that comes to that then, well, how is that fair to to us as people? I mean, what chance do we have? Other people ask the question this way, what about those who haven't heard the Gospel? Are they immediately without hope? Because God never sent them the Gospel? It's all these questions about fairness and about what is appropriate and what's right. Well, let me answer that question for you. And maybe you might have a family member asking this question, or perhaps you might. I said to you just a minute ago, does God ordain some men to eternal life and others to eternal damnation? Yes, He does. Well, how do we? How can that be fair, chaplain? How can that be right? Well, the first thing we need to make clear is our presupposition in this whole thing. Many people say, I'm innocent. God should love me. Therefore, I should have an opportunity at heaven. They begin with the presupposition... I'm innocent. But that's not the presupposition where the Bible starts. The Bible starts with the presupposition, I'm guilty. I deserve judgment. I'm going to hell unless someone intervenes in my life. Total different setup. If we go with the presupposition that I'm innocent, of course it would be unfair. Of course we could say, God, that ain't right. Why are you choosing them and you're not choosing me? I deserve this just as much as the next person. But if we come with the presupposition I'm guilty and I deserve judgment, well, of course, uh, we see our need for God's grace. And we also see how gracious God is that He would even move in and reach out to rebellious people like ourselves and reach in His hand of grace and turn our hearts around. Dear friends, I... I work with folks who make their living off making war. you get what I'm saying? They make their living off making war. As one general said, my job is to blow things up and to create havoc. When we consider God and we consider man and how there has been warfare between man and God all the time, for God to go in instead of creating damage where He could and where He had the just right to do so and considering how He reached out to His enemies and turned our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, that's where we begin to see how amazing God's love is. And notice, we did nothing. He sets His love and affection on us right from the beginning. It's not us showing God our care or how our lives are changed? No, it is Him moving towards us. Sometimes I hear people in the chapel say, I found Jesus. And I say, No, dear friend, you did not find Jesus. Christ found you. Remember what John says? It's not we who, it, it, Jesus loved us first. It's not we who loved Him first. But the problem is our heart is deceitful. And we constantly want to obscure and twist Scripture to where we as man get some credit in this whole thing of salvation. That is the great temptation of mankind. We want to go have an attaboy. Or we want our Commander-in-Chief to say, outstanding, as we say in the Air Force. No, the reality is, is the outstanding and the attaboy goes to God. That's where it belongs. Because we all deserve... God's judgment. Well, someone might say, well, wait a minute, chaplain, does that mean I'm a robot? If God has set His love on me and I love because He first loved me, does that mean I have no will of my own? Am I just a robot in this? And that might be the question the folks were asking Malachi. But the reality is no. You see, God has, or has done no violence, says our confession, no violence to the will of the creature. In other words, when you and I come to Christ, we come freely, but we come because He is drawing us. As Calvin said, His grace is irresistible. You and I cannot resist it. It will grab our hearts and it will pull us in with the strongest of tractor beams. Star Wars and Star Trek have no tractor beam compared to God. He will pull us to Himself. And Scripture is clear. There is man's freedom but God's sovereignty. The book of Proverbs reminds us that that in a man's heart he plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We are responsible for our own actions, but God ultimately will do it. Matthew 18, verse 7 says, "...offenses may come, but woe to that man by whom the offensive come." Scripture consistently teaches us two things. That one, there's a certainty of future events. Offenses will come. Bad things will happen. Sin will happen. But the person is held accountable for those things. None of us are innocent. We're not simple robots. We're guilty of our own actions. So God ordains and He works through the free acts of man. And please hear me, when I say free acts, I realize our acts are tainted by sin. But we're responsible for them. And lastly, if you need a third example, think about the example of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 53, we're told that, that Jesus would be smitten of God and afflicted, and the Lord has called the iniquity of us all to fall upon Him. You see, God predestined the evil that would happen to befall on Christ. He said, it will happen. I will see it happen. He's not willing it to happen, but it will happen in the sense that we know it will happen on Christ. We see this in the book of Acts when, when the Pilots or when the Jews and Pilate are condemned when Christ is crucified. Acts four twenty seven and twenty eight says this: For truly, in this city, the Jews gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purposes predestined to occur. You see, God worked His will of bringing forth redemption through the evil choices of Pilate and Herod and the Gentiles and the Jews. They were responsible, dear friends, but yet God will accomplish His purposes. So this whole thing of election is beginning to make sense, but I'd like to provide one last personal example. And I shared this a couple years ago when I preached this sermon first at a church that I was a part of. My daughter uh, Eliza has a lot of stuffed animals. Maybe some of you kids have a lot of stuffed animals. One of the things Eliza used to do when we had our first home is she would line up all her stuffed animals on our couch and she would have them all looking at the TV and because she saw daddy preach, she would stand up and she would preach to him or pretend to preach to him with her Bible. Well, she loved her animals. And there was a number of them, and each of them had a name. There was Strawberry, her horse, and there was Sophie and Baxter, her two stuffed dogs, and there was Pony and Cow and Teddy. But there was one animal, and Eliza, you remember this one animal that I'm talking about that was her pride and joy. And it was Ruffy. Ruffy was this just little itty-bitty dog. Now she liked all her animals, but for some reason, Eliza set her affection Her love on this one animal. She chose this one animal to set her affection on. And I think that provides a great illustration when we talk to other people and they question how could God elect some and not elect others. We do this all the time in our world. Even my daughter does that with all her stuffed animals. There wasn't something special that Ruffy did. He was just as inanimate as the rest of her stuffed animals. In fact, she, Ruffy was a lot smaller than a lot of her stuffed animals. But for some reason, Ruffy got her love. We should be just as amazed that God sets His love on each one of us. Because who are we? Paul says, he's chosen some of you who don't even have much talents or much skills. Those are, that's, Chaplain Hess's, Doug's paraphrase there. The ignoble things of the world to become noble things of the world. And it's through Christ. You know, uh, dear friends here at Desert Springs, I realize your church is going through a transition. And there is a lot of work that's going on. Some of your, your numbers may have been higher in the past and now they're lower. And you may wonder about your future. You may wonder about the plans God has for you. You may question God's continued love for this church. But I want to assure you and encourage you to trust in that love He has for you as individuals and you all as a church body. It is an eternal love. And until He calls this church to do something different or to disband, The goal of this church is to continue to believe and trust in that love that God has for each and every one of you. To believe that He has a plan for you. To believe that God has a person called out for you. And as you elders and as you church leaders sift through that mountain, and I do mean mountain of applications, there is a person that God has for you. And to continue to believe in that and for you, as people of the part of the congregation, to trust in your leadership, to trust that God will direct their steps, and to be confident that He will bless you with that future man. I believe this text also reminds each and every one of us that the problems that we're going through, whether it might be in school, or our children struggling to obey, or we might be having a hard time with a parent, or a family member, or a coworker, or we feel some vague distance from God, And we probably, if you're a believer in Christ, you probably felt that at some time. His love for you does not change. Even though my feelings and your feelings towards God may change, His eternal love, what Malachi was pointing His people to, has not changed. That love is eternal and it is for certain. And we can trust that God will continue to move towards us. I love this passage that Paul says in Romans 8, What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? My dear friends, the principle is this. If God has given you the greatest treasure He has and He possesses, and He did in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we have Christ, we have all things. Because there is nothing greater than Christ. And that is something the people of Malachi's time did not possess. But it's something we possess on this side of the cross. That we have the greatest treasure in Christ. And we need to be reminded of these things because it is so easy to forget. And if there's one last thing I'd like to point out to you this morning, is what God does to a people of God when he accomplishes his eternal loving purpose. Very quickly, Malachi said to the people of God, he he said to the Israelites, you will see my love for you as I destroy your enemies. The Edomites. The Edomites have been around for a long time. Some of us as we go through life here in our day's age and we see some of the changes in our country, changes that go against God's kingdom and God's purposes, we may ask, Lord, it seems like we're losing. And You said we should be winning. And perhaps the Israelites were asking those same questions about the Edomites. God, they're building up and we're we're lucky if we get a couple guys to show up for, for, for drill practice. They're ready to go, and we're not. But the sure fact that God reminds the Israelites at that time and reminds us at this time is that one time Christ will return and His enemies will be vanquished. And we can have hope in that, dear friends, that even the forces of hell cannot... that we, In fact, it's wrong. I said that wrong. We will storm the gates of hell. And even the gates of hell cannot stand against the church. It is not that they will not penetrate us. No, we will accomplish and move forward and penetrate into their ranks. Not even their walls can stand against us, Jesus says. So as we think about Malachi's actions and, and what he was saying to the people of God, I hope, dear folks, that you would be reminded of His eternal love. Because this love brings Him glory. It brings Him glory. And at the at the time of Malachi, he says when you see Edom destroyed, and oh by the way, it's not a country anymore. The Edomites are no more, dear friends. When you see that happen, you will know, and people outside of Israel will know there is a God in Israel. Dear friends, we don't know when that time is that Jesus will return. But people will know there is a God, and He is the only true God, and He belongs to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will accomplish that purpose. And His electing love moves us to obey His commands. We are not hyper-Calvinists as Presbyterians. We are supposed to be Calvinists. And that was a great error of our Presbyterian church where folks just sat in there and went inwardly. Dear friends, as Christians... As God's electing love is set on you, our job is to move forward and to act and to pursue and to do what God calls us to do. We are called to abide in His love. But not only are we called to abide, but we are called to bear fruit. I just spoke last night at Rincon Mountain Church and I reminded them of the parable of the men who are given talents five, three, and one. And the one who got chastised by God was the one who did nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, Christ, we must look for opportunities to spread the knowledge of this electing love. It is not for us to remain silent. Our relationship with God may be personal, but it is never private. It is something we must spread and and announce to others. And as we do, His Gospel will spread to the nations. So my question for you is do you see the love God has for you? At the beginning of the sermon, I started out with a story of how I got injured and how I questioned God. I was hobbling around on crutches. People were laughing at me. Here comes the the missionary. Or here comes the Campus Crusade guy. Well, I prayed and asked God to work in my life to somehow to accomplish His purpose. And to this day, I've never seen anything happen like this in my life, but in about in three weeks, I was up good to go, walking at full strength, being able to move. I was on crutches, barely able to get around. And after that, I had one of the best years of ministry I ever had on staff with Campus Crusade. And I think God had to remind me something. Doug, I'll accomplish my purposes. And it's not on what you think is necessary to accomplish my purposes. I will accomplish my purposes. Because His plans are eternal, His love is eternal, and He will spread His glory on however way He chooses to do so. That is the message to you, dear friends, as a church, as you wait for your future pastor. And I trust God will provide His strength for you as you wait. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for these words from the book of Malachi. I thank You for Your eternal love for us. And Lord, help us to not just sit in that love, but to be moved to action. Lord, that we would be like those two servants who You entrusted talents to, and a talent was a whole year, or 30 years of wages. And yet they invested them. And then their master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little. You will be faithful in much. Go and enter the joy of your master. Lord, I pray that this church would trust in you, that you will accomplish the purposes as they abide in you and watch you bear fruit through them, even as they wait in this transition time. For You have plans for them, Lord. You have plans for them. And they don't just start when a pastor enters a pulpit or a pastor starts at his church. They are continuous. And I trust that You will do this. Remind them of Your love and strengthen them, we ask in God's name. Amen.